Hello and welcome back to the Bolf Podcast. I'm here as always with my esteemed co-host BBK. How you doing, bro? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right, mate. I'm doing all right. We are going to, as always, jump straight into it with the Premier League chat, and then I think a bit later we'll we'll talk about our fantasy teams and also what's coming up on FPL and more specifically a crucial game that is happening tonight. If you want to hear about that, keep listening. So, we will start with the Merseyside derby and Liverpool losing 2-0 to Everton, something which hasn't happened at Anfield in over 20 years. Liverpool are just having the worst time at the minute. Yeah, they really are. They're such a different team compared to last season. Everton were 2-0 winners on the night. I just, I just don't. I think we're running out of words. What we can say about this Liverpool team at the moment? Yeah, I mean the problem is we're we're pretty much talking about Liverpool every single week, and it's always the same thing. It was very, it was quite funny to see. I don't know if you would have seen it, but when Jordan Henderson went down, he was obviously clutching his groin, and you could see him as he went as he went down. He was talking to the physios, and he was saying, "Oh, you've got to be joking. You've actually got to be joking." And it's just. It does seem at this point that it is just unlucky, but then, I don't know, I feel like even if you do blame the injuries and whatever, and you blame Jordan Henderson not being in the middle, blah, 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 Liverpool just did not look like scoring at all, really. Even though they had most of the ball and they were going forward the most, they just didn't look like doing anything. No, I think you have to give credit to Everton. I think they went there with a game plan. They had a bat four, and then with Seamus Coleman, they went into a bat five when they didn't have the ball. But then they pushed when he, when Everton had the ball, Seamus Coleman was allowed to push. And also when uh, Liverpool were attacking, they used Seamus Coleman just to man mark Andy Robertson, which nullified Liverpool's threat with the attacking fullbacks. With Everton, I, th- I saw that Jamie Carragher basically what he was saying was that. Everton have never really gone to Anfield with the right frame of mind. I think because, you know, it's the same with any team. When they go to Anfield, they go, the fans are going mental. The You know, the atmosphere, that kind of thing is, is obviously quite intense. So I think when they go there, there is a little bit of kind of they're already beaten before they get on the pitch. And I think that because of the fact that there was no crowd there may have helped them slightly just to kind of relax them almost and you know, allowed them to play the football that inevitably they know they can play. Well, they've said that with a lot of sort of football games now with the, you know, when you go to an away game, you know, you used to be sort of, like you think of the big away games like Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea, you know, you used to be sort of terrified to play there with their fans, you know, the numbers. But now obviously with there no, being no fans, you just have the freedom to play how you want to play. You know, I think that's like, um, this links to sort of West Ham a little bit. You look at, you remember all the West Ham fans not being happy with the way they play, sitting back. But now, they can do that, and if they need to, and it's get, it gets some results because there's no fans to to moan during the games. The players can just play how they want, how the manager wants, and if it gets some results, it gets some results. Yeah, it's. Just, I think it's very interesting to see how the pandemic has both helped and hindered quite a lot of teams. So you look at. For example, even Sheffield United, I think when the crowds were around, certainly with the way they play, kind of having to put basically all their energy into every single game, I think the fact that they no longer had fans to kind of push them to do that has obviously had had quite a negative 
impact on them. I think just kind of moving on from the Liverpool point, we look at the look at the game between Fulham and Sheffield United, and you do have to say that I think this pandemic has probably ruined them in a sense because you look at even at the end of last season for Sheffield United, they they were playing well. The pandemic hit; they had a few months out, and they haven't they haven't won many games since. I don't think. So in terms of this Fulham beating Sheffield United one nil, how big a result is that both for Sheffield United and Fulham? Um, I think potentially that game could um, send Sheffield United down. You know they're on eleven points, they're fourteen points off safety, and that the win for Fulham pushes them to only three points behind Newcastle, four behind Brighton. Um, they're on a run of four games without a loss, two wins, two draws. Um, you have to look on form. There's a really good chance that Fulham can stay up this league uh, this season. Yeah, I mean, there's still what is there like? There's still quite a few games to go, so I think it's certainly not out of the question. I just wonder, especially obviously, I know we're supposed to be talking about Fulham, Sheffield United, but especially with Newcastle losing Callum Wilson, I wonder how much of an impact that's going to have on kind of the way. That a the way man uh, Newcastle play because obviously they're going to have to start winning games, and without their main goal scorer, I really don't see them doing that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure on Steve Bruce to try and make sure Newcastle is safe this season. Um, obviously, I don't think the injury to Callum Wilson's helped them at all. He's obviously their best player. Um, I think uh, I read somewhere that he was the player with the most like goals and assists for that, that one uh, like one club this season. Which just just shows how important he was to Newcastle, and without them, you you do struggle to see them get goals. With Fulham, obviously, they have never certainly this season they've never particularly looked like a team that were going to to stay up. They never stay up pretty much when they get promoted. I think over the last few times it's happened, I can't think of a season where they've been promoted and kept their status as a Premier League team. In terms of what Scott Parker's doing, do you think? Potentially, he's he's shown that his team are good enough and that they can kind of do something potentially next season if they stay up. Well, I think you have to look at the squad that Fulham have, and they just don't have that good of a squad in comparison to Newcastle, Brighton. So I think, in terms of what Scott Parker's doing, I think he's doing a really incredible job. I think he's got them playing a, a certain way, which is helping them get results. Like I said earlier, they've you know they've not lost a game in four games. So if they just keep doing what they do, they're doing then surely they might be safe. I, th- I think we've kind of already answered this, but just to get a kind of definite answer on it, I'm assuming you you think the same as me, that Sheffield United are already relegated? Yeah, I do agree with that. So, going forward, there's a very important factor in Sheffield United's relegation. So they're currently equal to the worst season ever by Derby County. And I think I mentioned it a couple of times now, that I need them to get more than 11 points. So that Derby is still the worst team in Premier League history. Do you think how many more points do you think they can realistically get this season? Well, I think I'm still baffled as to how they beat Manchester United a couple of weeks ago. I'm just looking at I'm looking at their the uh, five the previous five games they've lost four and the the one they won was against Manchester United at Old Trafford. But with watching Sheffield United play, I. I can't see much more points coming out of them. I don't think there's many teams that they can beat in the Premier League at all. But then, like you say, they might just have a, a game where like where they beat Manchester United and get some more wins. But in all, in all honesty, I can't see them getting much more points. 
Yeah, I think ultimately their their problem is is that they never had particularly talented players. It just feels like last season they had players who worked really well together and worked really hard for the team. In reality, most of their players are championship players. Like you bring in what Ramsdale, who isn't particularly a good goalkeeper. He's certainly not on the level of kind of uh, Henderson that they had the year before. So. I think it's a shame because I think the the way they were playing, the way Chris Wilder had them playing, it was it was good to watch. They put everything into every single game. You can definitely say with Sheffield United, it's certainly not for a one of trying, you know, of not trying. But I just don't think I don't think they've got the squad to do it, and I think that's ultimately going to be their problem for quite a long time. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't get easy for them this weekend with a game against Liverpool and then Aston Villa the following uh, Wednesday as well. Yeah, exactly. And even even if by some miracle, if they get, they could win both of those games and still be in a shout for relegation. They could win a lot of the rest of their games and still be in a shout for relegation. It's um, it's not a good look for Chris Wilder's men. So speaking, just speaking of this, who do you reckon the other two teams are going to join them in the relegation? I think it's going to be Newcastle and West Brom. I think West Brom are awful. West Brom are only what two points better better off three points better off than Sheffield United so it's definitely going to be West Brom uh, I think bringing in Sam Allardyce was, was a massive mistake and then I think Newcastle because they're not going to be scoring any goals so they won't be winning any games it's as simple as that yeah there's still potentially you know a few other teams around like Brighton are only one point above them Burnley are three points above them and then even you know, look at Southampton on Crystal Palace 32 and 30 points so I had no idea Southampton were that low in the league. I've just looked. No, they've had a really bad, uh, bad run of form lately. Speaking of them, they just drew one all against Chelsea, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, again, looking at where they are in the league, that's that's quite a good result. Being a team who are now in the Europa League spot in terms of uh, finishing positions in the Premier League, they're doing better than Liverpool this season, Chelsea. So, I mean, it's it's a good result, I think. One thing that is quite funny is how much Liverpool are clearly going to be regretting letting Minamino go out on loan. Was he? He's got like three goals in four games or two goals in three or something. Yeah, he's, he scored against Newcastle and then he scored against obviously the Chelsea game as well. Yeah. He's looking he's looking like the player that he was ultimately at, at uh, Red Star Belgrade. Is yeah. he Red Star? Yeah. I think Liverpool could really do with a player like him right now. Well, I don't understand with all those with all their injuries and you know with the amount of players they've got out, why they let him go. It doesn't make sense to me uh, because they've got no Jota. Salah's fine, yeah, that's whatever he's in the team. Mane's not really scoring. You look on the bench, you've got Origi and Shakiri. Of all those players, Minamino's probably better than this season. Potentially better than all of them, with the exception of maybe Mane. But you could make an argument. Either way, kind of thing. Yeah, um, I do think it's just a bit of a mistake from Jurgen Klopp to just loan out a player when you've obviously been dealing with lots of injuries. You're over relying on Mane, Salah, and Firmino, and if they're not playing well, which you know they could say they've been having a bit of an off season throughout the season, why you would let him go out on loan, especially with, especially with the in- injury to Diego Jota as well. Yeah, I think if Jota's not injured, Liverpool would probably still be at the top of the league, if not second. Because I think that just gives them, when Mane is not playing well, it kind of gives them that 
that reassurance that he doesn't have to perform every single week. He can have a game off because then Jota can come in and play or if Firmino's not playing well, Jota can drop into that role. So I think it's definitely a mistake letting Minamino go if Jota's not fit. Obviously, if he is, it's a different different conversation. But in terms of looking at Chelsea, um, I questioned at the start of the season how good Chelsea were. Um, I don't actually think I thought they'd get top four when we, we kind of talked about it recently. No, they're still yeah they're still unbeaten under Thomas Tuchel, and they obviously they had a win in midweek against Atletico Madrid. So things seem to be going well at Chelsea. It's just um, uh, Callum Hudson Adoy had a sort of a game to forget. He came on at half time and was subbed off twenty five minutes later. Yeah, and I got to be fair, Tuchel did he did make comment about that because most managers will just say. Oh, it just happened. It happened with Moise Keane when Ancelotti first took over at Everton. It did, yeah. Yeah, and I kind of think, you know when you want to take a player off. Linking it to something we both know, when you're playing on FIFA, if you accidentally put a player on that you didn't mean to, and he's playing god-awful, you can tell that you then want to take him off straight away. So I think it would be fairly obvious to a manager, even if a player has been on for 20-25 minutes, if they're not up to it, they just need to come off the pitch. It's just a shame that it's happened to... Kind of such a young lad who, ultimately, when Thomas Tuchel was in was interviewed, questioned his uh, kind of commitment to the team and the, you know the amount of energy he was showing. And I think as a young a young person, if you're not putting in work, then you shouldn't be allowed to play at a high level. Because I mean, he's only he's only 21. He's not actually ever won anything. He's not ever done anything. I think a good example to look at, even within the Chelsea team, is Mason Mount. I think you can you can see the difference in attitude, desire, the, the the need to play, and I think that's why you know Chelsea fans like Mason Mount that much. You know he puts the he puts the effort into play. You know he's he's also a talented football player as well. Um, but I think Thomas Tuchel, the first thing that he wants is the the desire to play for for Chelsea Football Club. Yeah, and I think that's that's the most important thing. I know certainly looking at Forest and sort of what I know when when we first started playing badly the first thing that that Chris Hewton when he came in the first thing he wanted is kind of that application and you know hold, holding yourself accountable and if as a young player you're not willing to give it everything you know if you're a team that's struggling that should be first and foremost you can worry about winning games after that as long as you're giving it everything then at least you can say you know, it's not for a lack of trying. It's clearly something that's happening with the manager, or with whatever da 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 kind of thing. Which is kind of why, linking it back to the Liverpool conversation, it's kind of why I don't really understand what's happening with Liverpool in a minute, because they've not really got that much of a different team. All right, minus the centre backs, they've not really got that much of a different team to last season, and their application hasn't really changed. They always kind of put themselves in a hundred percent. They're always, you know, the press is always really really high. It's really, really intense. So they haven't really changed that. So I don't really understand why they're doing as badly as they are, to be honest. No, it's a weird one. Um, I think linking back to the uh, sort of the, um, like Mason Mount putting the effort in, I think it's clear that he wants players that will put 100% in for the club. Yes, Callum Hudson-Odoi might be more the talented footballer, but talent does play a part but in winning games but hard work plays a part more well i think as well with with the talent thing talent can maybe score you a goal yeah but it's like it's it's you know it's the buster gut runs that 
players make from box to box to try and you know help out the defense in some way that helps teams not lose games and not concede goals. It's like the whole it's like the whole conversation we had last week about why why Bernardo is such a good footballer because of the hard work that he puts in. Yeah, and that's the thing. Ronaldo's probably the greediest player of, you know, you've ever seen in terms of it's not I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but he is probably the greediest player you've ever seen and yet he still tracks back and does all his running and even though he plays up front, he does as much defending as he needs to. He puts a lot of effort in. And yet you've got a 21-year-old kid in Carl Mudson Adoy who's on hundreds of thousands of pounds the week, living the life that most kids would dream of living. And he's, you know, he's kind of mucking about and only playing for 25 minutes because his manager doesn't think he's working hard enough. Yeah, it might be the question of whether he's been, you know, whether young, young players are being put on too much money. Well, I think the whole thing with him was that Bayern were after him a few years ago, weren't they? Um, and so in order to keep him there, they had to put him on you know, like a hundred grand, two hundred grand a week just so that they could keep him at the club. And he's only I think he's only twenty one years old. I think he's our age. So I mean I d I don't know. I'd i it was refreshing to hear two shell just come out and basically just say, Look, he wasn't working hard enough, so I took him off. Yeah, I think I think he had that sort of problem when he was at PS, the PSG manager. I think sometimes Neymar wouldn't put the effort in, but then again, it's Neymar, so you know, and Mbappe they sort of just trapped back, and he couldn't get them to play how he wanted. And I think that's where the downfall went with him at PSG. We can kind of link this onto the the next match we want to talk about actually, because we're looking at you know kind of talking about the application of players, and one team who have got that kind of application and putting a hundred percent into everything. Um, has been West Ham quite recently, and obviously David Moyes has done absolute wonders for that team. Uh, obviously, winning two one against Spurs, which is something that doesn't happen. You know, it's not a regular occurrence that West Ham would beat Spurs. Obviously, they had the three all draw earlier in the season. I guess we need to talk about this one for a bit because again, we we talk about him every week. Is Jesse Lingard is was different class again. He really, I think he has really brought a massive impact to that West Ham team. It was it's hard. It was hard to look before the winter, the transfer window. Like West Ham, they were playing really well. You know, they were working well as a team, and they managed to bring in someone, as in Jesse Lingard, that's managed to take them to the next level. Um, and obviously, you know, they're they're going to be trying pushing for Europe this year. It'll be interesting to see how far they can go. And they're just obviously, you know, they have a really good squad depth. They have an unbelievable midfield with Suchek and Rice. And I just, I think a lot of credit has to go to David Moyes. Yeah, I think it's, it's quite easy. Obviously, we talk about West Ham every week. We talk about the players from everyone. From you know, I think Creswell gets a mention every ten minutes. Jesse Lingard gets mentioned every week. I think a lot of it has does have to go down to David Moyes because he's obviously done something because it's not like they're winning games by putting 11 men behind the ball and just defending for their lives. Defend, 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 defend. They're clearly doing something tactically which is working quite well. And the football they play is nice. You look at when they're kind of when they do score goals, they're, you know, they're like making nice little link-up plays and this that and the other. And I mean, yeah, they're just I think they are, you know, it sounds stupid. But you know they're sixth or whatever in the table they're or fourth, fourth in the table right now. Yeah, I would genuinely say they are the fourth best team in the Premier League right now. I think there's, I couldn't think of many teams that if they now played against West Ham, I wouldn't necessarily bet that Liverpool would definitely beat West Ham. I wouldn't say that you know Chelsea would definitely beat West Ham. I wouldn't even say that Leicester 
are a shoe in to beat West West Ham. It'll be very interesting to see how they play this weekend. They are against, of course, the Manchester City. I think that's going to be a really good game. It wouldn't surprise me if it was either a a nil-nil draw or potentially even West Ham nicking it, to be honest. I don't think you can write West Ham off this game, even with how good Manchester City have been. West Ham have been good themselves. At the same time, when people were looking at when Liverpool played Man City, people were talking about, oh, you know, this could be Liverpool's game to really bring it back and, you know, do something to Pep. And Pep made sure Jurgen Klopp knew that, you know, Pep is the Don kind of thing and battered them 5-0. So it wouldn't surprise me if everyone starts talking, you know, in the media and says, oh, yeah, I think, you know, this West Ham team could be the one to do the number. City will probably go out and beat them 6-0. It wouldn't surprise me. (laughs) It genuinely wouldn't surprise me. No, um, I'll be watching that game tomorrow. I think I think that'll be a good one. I think just to kind of move the conversation onto the other side is obviously Tottenham were the team to to come a little bit short this week, but there were some positives in there. To be fair, I think a lot of people talk about how defensive this Spurs team and how Jose Mourinho plays so defensively, but. Towards the end of that game, when they were forced to chase it, they did look like they were really they were competent enough to play good attacking football. They can work the ball around. They have got the players to do it. I think that's what's been said about a lot of Spurs games is that they wait for the other team to score first or get a goal back for them to start playing. It, I think it just frustrates a lot of Spurs fans why they why why they can't just play that from minute one. You know they've got you could you know you look at their team they've got Bale, Kane, Son that arguably could beat any defence in the world. Um, it just baffles you how they can play such defensive football um, and just not go out and attack, you know. Um, you look, Bale had a bit of a good cameo. He obviously hit the crossbar with a, a wonder a volley. Yeah, I think if that goes in, that could that could be goal of the season pretty much straight away. You could just give it him there and then. It was It was ridiculous, but I think... Ultimately, with with Spurs, I think the reason they have to go a goal down to start playing is because I don't think Jose Mourinho can get that dressing room up for any game that isn't against one of the top teams. And even now, against the top teams, the players just don't seem to trust him. I think the reason the goal has to go in before they start playing is literally because there's nothing, there's no pressure on them to win anything, there's no pressure on them to play well because Jose Mourinho isn't inspiring you know the dressing room to go out and do something and I think when that first goal goes in there's kind of a collective oh no we, we we need to start playing now around the Spurs team I do think that also stems from the fact that they don't really have what you'd call a proper outfield captain obviously they've got Hugo Lloris in goal but there's not really much Hugo Lloris can do in terms of shouting and telling players what to do from you know, forty yards behind where the ball's being played. Uh, I just don't. I don't think that team are, are necessarily balanced properly in terms of. There's not really many leaders in there. I tell you what. I think you know when Spurs had that sort of spine of like, Louise Alderweireld and Vertonghen. So when they were in their prime, I think if they had Mourinho then, they would have had a, a lot of a better chance than he does now. Yeah, it's a different story then, isn't it? I think Mourinho relies on those kind of players. That's why, you know, when he was at Chelsea, he loved, you know, your Drogba's, 
Terry's, your Lampards, all these kind of people who are natural born leaders. Man, uh, even, looking well. at, even looking at Man United, that's why he got on so well with Latan. That's why you know he, he didn't really get on with Paul Pogba. You know, going the other way because he was obviously not quite that leader character. He was more of kind of the flair player. And I ultimately think that's why he's kind of fallen out with Gareth Bale because I think, I think when he came in, Jose Mourinho was thinking Gareth was going to be kind of a. I don't know, almost like a match to ignite the flame kind of thing where he'd come in, he knows the club already, he can just get straight in and straight involved. And I just don't think that's happened for him. But looking at the game uh, that they've played against West Ham, I don't see why Gareth Bale can't start the next few games unless it's to do with fitness. But, you know, he's been he's not started a game in quite a while, so he can't be injured. And speaking of uh, players that he's also, you know, struggled to get on with, he's, um, there's been a... A lot said in the media about him, his and his him and his relationship with uh, Deli Ali. Um, obviously, Deli Ali played midweek in the Europa League and had a really good game. And Mourinho said to the media that Deli Ali was back, so it was interesting to see if Ali comes into his team this week or not. And obviously, Ali is a very good player, you know, very special player in fact. And he's obviously had a year or two where he's sort of gone missing a bit, and hopefully, he can get his form back. Yeah, I think. No one can speak highly enough of Deli Ali. I think on his day, he's one of the best players in the league. But you saw it in the documentary on Amazon Prime. Yeah. That he just he's just lazy. If we're being honest, he is a lazy trainer. He doesn't he doesn't work particularly hard off the pitch. Some players can afford to do that, but no player should just assume it's their right that because they're playing for Tottenham and because. They think they're it, that they should start games. I think that's why ultimately they've fallen out. Is because Jose Mourinho went, you're lazy, I'm going to get this, and I'm going to get in Don Bele playing well, and Sissoko's going to be in the team, and Winks is going to be in the team, because these are players that all work hard. I just don't think Deli Ali had it, so it'd be interesting to see if he has kind of had that, almost like the kick up the arse of, you know, come on, get playing, get going, get training hard, and you'll get into the team. And I think that all kind of culminated in, in a, you know an outstanding goal, both from how it was worked to how it was scored, you know, it was started by Deli Ali with a little one-two, and then finished by Deli Ali with a with a with a bicycle kick. Yeah, I think it links to what we spoke about, obviously earlier with Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel. I think Mourinho, in a similar way, wants players that will play for the team, play for the badge. You know, you look at Deli Ali. You know, he's got his all his tricks. It's similar to when Mourinho was at Pogba. He didn't get on well with Pogba there because Pogba's sort of a flair player, player that likes to do his skills, doesn't like to track back. I think ultimately the game is changing as well. I think you know players are getting that much fitter, and the the work that they're able to do is in terms of on the training pitch and whatever is that much more that they can. They can afford to, or they they are allowed to be a lot faster and a lot fitter, so they can run a lot harder. And as a result, when you're defending, you need players that are willing to track back and make those yards. Because if you don't, there's no, you know you can't just leave four players against three anymore. Because the four the three players that you're playing against will be some of the quickest players in the league. I think ultimately the game has gone rather than everyone just having to be really skillful and tactical. Being an athlete is ultimately what football's about now. Look at Jordan Henderson, who isn't that good a football player really. If you you know, if you think about it, he's not the most skillful, he's not the most 
you wouldn't say he's got one specific trait that's his best one apart from the fact that he is extremely athletic and he can just run and run for days and be that engine room. And I think that's ultimately why, you know, he's won a he's won a, a Premier League title and Callum Hudson Odoi hasn't really. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Spurs obviously are playing Burnley and Fulham in their next two fixtures. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, their, their games where Spurs will probably dominate with the ball and there'll probably be games where you need the Deli Alley or the Gareth Bale to do something special. And it'll be interesting to see whether they can do it for Spurs and Jose Mourinho. I think Burnley could be a big banana peel game for uh, for Tottenham. I think Sean Dice is one of those managers that can get the players up for every game. So I think Spurs are going to have to be on it. Otherwise, it could it could be a, a very sticky, sticky, uh, sticky day for Jose Mourinho. Moving on to, I think, what will probably be the most interesting game that we've had this week is the Leicester-Villa game. It ended 2-1 to Leicester, which realistically isn't a bad result for Villa anyway. I think what makes it potentially even a less bad result is the fact that obviously they were without uh, Jack Grealish and Matty Cash. Now, obviously... We talked about kind of the depth of squads and the lower teams not having that depth. I think the reason that Aston Villa have been up there for so long is they've got some depth, but I just don't think when injuries start to hit that they're going to be able to cope with potentially weeks without key players like Cash and especially like Grealish. There is no one in that team that will do anything close to what Jack Grealish will do, ultimately because there's no one in the world that can really do the job that Jack Greedy should can do. No, I think that's really. why that's why you have to look at what West Ham did in this in the winter window with buying Jesse Lingard on loan to just help them out in squad depth. Um, and you can you can just see a bit more in the uh, West Ham squad in case they get injuries. Whereas within the West uh, within the Aston Villa squad, they may start to struggle. There was that whole talk. I don't know if you heard about Jack Greedish missing the game. There's a lot of talk before it and rumours about it. Yeah, so. Uh... I think I heard that Jack Grealish, no one was supposed to know. It was um, um some of his teammates had transferred uh, transferred him out of their FPL team. Was that it, really? Yeah, Matty Target and a couple of the physios transferred Jack Grealish out of their team. Oh. Um, so all the media were able to see that they'd done that and they were like, obviously speaking to the Aston Villa manager, so Grealish isn't playing us something like that. And he was like, how do you know? Uh that's that's a classic no comment question, that isn't it really? Yeah, and then it's resulted in them being banned and from playing FBL. <laughs> that is quite funny, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think that's that's a conversation potentially that people a lot smarter than us will be having of how players can get involved in things like FPL and stuff like that without you know giving away basically all the secrets of their of their team. But kind of going back to the result, I think. Both teams looked really good. I think going forward, this could be, if the teams keep improving, this could be one of the fixtures that we kind of look back at and it it be a good one to watch because I think Aston Villa are going from strength to strength. Obviously, they've had a little setback with the injuries and Leicester are looking, you know, they've had quite a few injuries and still look just as good as they did before. So, I mean, it's, it might start to be that in the next few years, Aston Villa versus Leicester City might end up being that game that's kind of, it's not the most important rivalry in the league, 
but it's it might just be one of them that everyone kind of appreciates a bit more. Yeah, there was a, there was also a lot of talk this week about you just thought you know the like the traditional bid six. Mm. I think it's time that we have to accept that Leicester into that big six. I think yeah, Leicester in potentially Arsenal. You know, I think they obviously won the Premier League. I think you know only a couple of years ago. I think only Liverpool and Man City have won it since. Mm. You know, I think they've been into the the top four or top, the top six more lately more than like the, the likes of you know Tottenham and Arsenal. Um, and I, there was an interview with James Madison, and he got, he got asked a question about the big six, and he did it with air quotes mm. because I think they feel that Leicester. Um, you know, with the help of Brendan Rodgers as well. I think they are breaking into that big six. I think ultimately the problem with, say, talking about a big six in football now is that there is really no big six anymore because all the teams are really quite good. You look at, you know, Leeds are now 10th, for example, but they're probably not the 10th in the top 10 teams in the Premier League, if you know what I mean. And like West Ham, they're not they're not in the big four, so to speak, or the big six either. So I think the fact that this season every basically all the teams have kind of just been jumbled about and just kind of everything's gone a bit a bit doolally for, for want of a better word. I think this big six notion does have to kind of stop eventually because you know, at what point you know, how much lower do Arsenal have to fall before we accept <laughs> that they're not in it? At one point this season, they were they they were single digit points off relegation. I'm not saying Arsenal would ever get relegated because they're one of this big six, but they were talking at the start of the season about the Super League and about who should get into it. And obviously, if you talk about the traditional big six, obviously Arsenal get in, maybe Spurs get in. There's there's a good argument to say which teams get in. Blah 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 blah. blah. If you look at recent form. There's no way Arsenal should be in a, a conversation about a Super League. There's no way Spurs Spurs should be in more of a conversation for this big six Super League thing than Arsenal should. Yeah. Leicester did probably deserve, in terms of their domestic success, to be in kind of the big six in the Super League more than even potentially Chelsea, to be honest. Like, there's been so much made of all oh, the big six, you know, all. Aston Villa are coming up against a big six team today. Well, if they're coming up against like Tottenham, Arsenal, Everton, Liverpool, they're not really coming up against a proper classic big six team. They're coming up against a team that's in the top six or seven in the league. It doesn't mean it doesn't really mean anything at the minute. No. I do wonder if that maybe has a bit of an effect on the way teams like Villa play, because it's always easier to get yourself up for a game that you're gonna you think you're gonna lose. So maybe holding on to that notion of we're not in the big six yet potentially allows them to kind of be a bit more ruthless in terms of being Aston Villa and working harder. And then maybe that's why Leicester have kind of fallen short to a couple of teams like Leeds, uh I think Southampton as well. Are we getting that right? Yeah. So you know, maybe they're kind of in a in a transitional phase where they're going into the bid six, but they're not quite in it just yet. My question is, how with the players they've got, have Leicester got so far? Because like Harvey Barnes a couple of seasons ago was playing in the Championship for Sheffield Wednesday. 
Luke Thomas, who played left back this week, uh, played really well, but I've never heard of him before. Sunchu, I've never heard of before. Um, I honestly have to put it down. I think Brendan Rodgers is a really underrated manager. Um, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves to, um, to what he's doing with his Leicester team. You know, he he's make, he makes players better footballers, and he also I think understands the, the game tactically quite well. He was a, he was under Mourinho a bit at Chelsea. Um, he's obviously. You know, he had his a couple of seasons at Liverpool where they nearly won the Premier League there if it wasn't for Steven Gerrard slip. I just think that he's a really good manager. And I think there was a you know, he had his he had the job at Liverpool and then he went to Celtic and then it was only a matter of time before one of the big clubs in the Premier League went out and got him and Leicester did and then I think they're they're benefiting the rewards of having him as their manager. Yeah, I just kinda I want to form a really crazy argument and just see what you think. Because in my head, when I'm saying it out loud, it sounds mental. Pep Guardiola has obviously had all the money he's had. He's had players that were already sensational, but he's made them into the Premier League's elite. Brendan Rodgers, even when he was at Liverpool, he had players like Sacco at centre-back. You know, he was you know, he was playing with some, some not-so-great like players. And even at Leicester, to an extent, he's not got players that you'd say were the top players in the world. Obviously, they're you know with like James Madison and Jamie Vardy, people are starting to now see them as the best players in the world. I, I genuinely think that's because of Brendan Rodgers. Is there an argument to say that in the Premier League, at least, Brendan Rodgers could be considered a better manager than Pep Guardiola? Um, well, I think obviously with managers, I think you have to look at trophies. But then I guess for some, you can't compare. You know, with the places where Brendan, the clubs that Brendan Rodgers has been at, you know, it's not as easy to win trophies as it is at being, you know, at Manchester, uh, Manchester City, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, and that lot. But I think you have to look at what every club that he's been at, what he's actually done with the team and the players that he's had. I think he has always improved them. I just potentially think that he's not had the backing. I think if Leicester City back him and give him the players that he wants, I think they could easily become a top, a team that gets in the top four every single season and and pushes for the Premier League. I really do. Yeah, I think the crazy thing that I always think about is this Leicester team are easily better than the one that won the league, which goes to show really what that Leicester team did in terms of the miracle they pulled off. Um. How much, I don't, I don't know if we're going to know how to answer this question, but realistically, how much money do you think Leicester would need to form that kind of, try? you know, trying to realistically um, challenge? I think they just need to build the squad um, and just to make sure they have, like, you know, covering position if players get injury. But then speaking of that, they've had a lot of injuries right now. And they're still, you know, third in the table. You know, they're, they're missing Wesley Fofana. Um, you know, Madison Vardy have been injured here and there. Um, so I think you have to look at it. If they had a full fit team, they could potentially be even higher in the league. Yeah, and I think the key thing for me was that result against Man City earlier in the, in the season because not many teams beat Man City and not many teams put five past Man City. Now, you can argue that, you know, potentially they weren't in a very good space in terms of how they were playing. But ultimately, you do have to look at the fact that you know they did do I it. I think under Brendan Rodgers, they've got the potential to play 
so many different styles. They can sit back, counter, they can dominate the ball. They've got, you know, players like Ndidi and Thielmans that control can control games. Madison can control games as well. And then the, on the break, they've got Vardy, Barnes. I think they're just a team that's got a style to whatever the opponent is. And I think that's a good good thing to have. So it's just a matter of, obviously, they had a midweek game this week. However, they did lose that, so they are now out of the Europa League. But in a, in a sense, I, I never thought that they would win the Europa League. So in a sense, I think that could help them in the league. Now they can just focus on the league. You know, they get to have a bit more of a rest when the Europa League comes on, which could, in a way, I think, help them qualify for the Champions League this year. Yeah, I think well, I think Leicester's... It's like what Jose Mourinho was saying, that when, when kind of people in the media ask him, what's your best chance for... Uh, the Champions League, and he Jose Mourinho realistically thinks that it's in the in the Europa League. Whereas I think Leicester would be better off saving their players because the Europa League has so many games; it's ridiculous. There's so many teams in that competition, and it just adds so much to you know a season. You saw, I think Wolves last year started their season in July, and they finished it, and they. <laughs> They started in July and finished it in August. And they actually got quite far, to be fair to them. But it does just ruin what you're trying to do domestically. Um, but just kind of returning returning to, to the kind of Pep Guardiola, Brendan Rodgers argument, one thing I did want to, to quickly mention was just to kind of argue in hypothetically in a case for Brendan Rodgers was the fact that Pep's never actually won anything outside of his league or his country kind of thing so when he went to Bayern he won the league when he was at Barca he won the league and won Champions League I think in 2008 and apart from that obviously with Man City he's done the quadruple in he's won all the domestic trophies but he's never done anything in a European standpoint I think ultimately that's where I kind of question with the amount of money he's had is he performing on a global scale as well as he should be, even though domestically he's doing so well? Yeah, I think that, like I think I mentioned that last week, I think that's the key thing for them this season is whether Manchester City can win the Champions League. And I think when you look at the Champions League, I think there's only probably one or two teams that could potentially beat them. I can't. I don't think it's with Man. You know, people say, "Oh, it's, it's if Man City win the league." It's not if; it's when. Yeah. Man City clearly have a team that is good enough to win the Champions League. They've got a team. They've got a second team that's probably good enough to win the Champions League, and yet consistently they fall out, and they fall out to the Leons and all these crap teams that they they shouldn't be falling out of the Champions League to. I think obviously leading on with with Man City, they they beat Arsenal one nil this week. What did you make of that result, Ben? Um, I think it was a. I wasn't actually that impressed with City. Um, watching that game, they obviously went one 0 up very early due to Raheem Sterling, but then since then they never really got going. It just it was just like they were comfortable the whole game. They didn't need to go up another gear. Arsenal kind of sat in. They didn't, you know they didn't really press that much. They just sort of just let Manchester City do their own thing, and the game just kind of went on. Man City didn't really need to try. You could say it was sort of a good defensive performance from Arsenal in the way that they only conceded one. Um, but I, I sort of, I watched the game. And I just sort of thought that they were there for the beating in a way. Man City, you know, you know, um, when Arsenal had the ball, it's whether they can make that quick pass and then turn and then be straight onto the Manchester City defense. 
Um, but they could just never seem to do it. And Man City obviously got the win, and I think they went 17 in a row. Yeah, I mean, I think with Manchester City, well, do you think with this game specifically, Arsenal came in with obviously the attitude of it doesn't matter if we lose, it's against Manchester City, this isn't really our competition right now this isn't this isn't important in a way you know if we win this game excellent if we don't we're not really expected to so whatever effectively and with Man City as soon as that first goal goes in do you have to say well all we're going for now is just being as ruthless as we can and so once this first goal goes in we're just going to win this game by whatever means necessary and maybe does that cause them just to kind of fall back a little bit, maybe? Well, I think that's what you think with Manchester City teams and Pep Guardiola when they get one. It's a matter of how many. But they didn't seem like they wanted to get that much more. Maybe they felt that they've got a defence that what doesn't concede. And, on you know, on paper, it's not conceded many at all. I think it's only conceded sort of 15 goals. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of... I've seen a lot of conversation about Pep Guardiola teams being a bit open at the back because obviously they're kind of effectively having the problem that Liverpool are having in the sense that they are attacking, 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 and then they've got no one back to defend. Could it be that Pep Guardiola is kind of almost learning, for want of a better word, he's almost learning the Sean Dyche style of football where you get a 1-0 and you just scrape it out against the better teams. You don't worry about scoring a million goals unless you need to. So in that Liverpool game, I felt like for Man City, they had to beat them by a considerable amount. Just to more for the show rather than kind of for points or goal tallies or whatever. Whereas with Arsenal, the important thing they've already won one nil against Arsenal, so another one nil wouldn't matter. It's just about the three points. You do it by making as little effort as possible, and then you move on. Is that I think that's kind of the way they're wanting to do it now. Yeah, speaking from one Manchester club to another, we have to look at Manchester United's three-one win against Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, what can you say about Newcastle? It's expected. The fact that Newcastle scored was incredible, but other than that, Newcastle looked woeful. Again, I said it about Spurs last week, I'll say about these this week. It's pathetic. There's no real style of football. They don't really defend particularly well. They don't really attack particularly well. But Manchester United are winning the games that they have to win. I think that's the important thing. I think getting beaten by Sheffield United was a good thing, ultimately, because it's kind of showing them, you know, we're not invincible. We can't just go 1-0 down every game and then win. We have to actually start scoring. I think Bruno was mercurial again. And just all round, a, you know, a fairly decent performance from Man United. I don't know what you think. Yeah, it wasn't the best or the best of games to watch. I think it was just important. I think, you know, when the games come quick and fast, it's just important to get the win, the performance. I don't think you're really bothered that by the performance. I think you just want to get the three points and... In a way, I think it was just good to get the three points and then, you know, move on. Yeah, I think it's about as well expending as little energy as you need to. So obviously it's not really that important, you know, that Man United put loads of effort into beating Newcastle because they're going to need to put a load of effort to beating Chelsea this weekend or whoever it is, you know, that's going to take a lot more out of them. Uh, one thing that I did did notice, just on kind of Marcus Rashford Twitter, was the young lad, was it, Sh- I don't know how to say his name, Shola Shortire or something? Yes, yeah. He uh, he got his first minutes uh, in a Man United shirt, obviously. You talk about like your Marcus Rashford, your Mason Greenwoods. Could we be looking at a team that is literally just academy players in a few years, potentially? Because there is some incredible talents. One we'll go on to talk about later in James Garner. James Garner? James Garner, yeah. you should know. James Garner. <laughs> I, keep, I keep calling him Joe. It's really because, yeah, anyway. 
Yeah, he's only 17 years old. I think he only turned 17 this month. Um, so it's incredible that although he's, he's obviously liked what he's seen and he's put him in and he obviously became the youngest player this week to play in the Euro a European match for Manchester United as well. So obviously it seems like the sky's the limit for him and it's just how good he can become. Yeah, and I think ultimately I think it's it's good to have homegrown players in, certainly with... I never thought I'd be talking about this on a football podcast, but with Brexit and the whole thing of you're not allowed to have so many foreign players in your team or yeah. something like that. I think it must be really good for him to see what Marcus Rashford's done over the five, uh, just past five years and what Mason Greenwood's done. And he should be, you know, sort of make, making it his life mission to get into that Manchester United team because he's seen that Rashford's done it, he's seen that Greenwood's done it. So it's it's doable if you're good enough and talented enough, which... Obviously, at his age, he must be if he's getting in the team right now. So, um, hopefully, it goes well for him and hopefully he'll be you know, in the team like Rashford and Greenwood are. Yeah, I mean, I think with Manchester United, one thing you can say is that they've always had a really good youth system. Obviously, most of that, you know, like the, the Gary Nevilles and, and players like that, they were all obviously in, in that academy and they've come through, which has obviously shown the players like Marcus Rashford that they can come through. And then, you know, it's going to kind of keep ticking down. So, I think... Ultimately, they are they are a very sustainable club. They don't have to spend a lot of money, but when they do, it can be on one player because they know that they're getting players for free out of the academy. I think it's it's I think that's how a football team should be run. If I'm being honest, I don't think you know, kind of Man City are almost doing the exact opposite. Rather than spending loads of money on one player and having loads of academy players, they've just got one really good academy player <laughs> and are spending loads on everyone else. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I mean, I guess when you have that one academy player that's that good, you, how many more academy players do you need? That is true. I mean, when you've got Kevin De Bruyne, when you can walk into a team with Kevin De Bruyne and Fernandinho, you have to be you have to be special to get in that team, don't you? I think onto the sort of the last game of this last weekend is the Leeds three 0 result against Southampton. Another bad result for Southampton, but a really good win for Leeds. Yeah, uh, do you think it was expected? I think with the form that Southampton had been on and the way Leeds played, um, I don't think it was unexpected for Leeds to win that game. Mm. There was a lot of uh, VAR decisions in that game. I think there was a couple of offside goals, a penalty overturned. Um, it was a really good. Uh, it was a good game. You know, you always expect Leeds to have high-scoring games, and it was another high-scoring game, three 0 for Leeds. I mean, I think they are. I don't think there's any argument to be had. They're the most exciting team in the league. And the fact they're playing the football the way they are, people question Marcelo Bielsa, but they're 10th. And at the end of the day, for a newly promoted side, 10th is perfectly good enough. And like we said before, I think with some transfers, they're going to go on to be a really good side. And just kind of looking at Southampton, obviously, we've already spoken about them. Obviously, they had a double game week this week. It would have been, I think a draw against Chelsea would have been okay. But then looking at this 3-0 defeat, the Chelsea result now looks a lot worse because then all of a sudden you go in two games and getting one out of six points that were available. Is it is it a managerial thing, do you think, with Southampton? Or is it just is it just bad form that every team gets and they're just going to have to work through it? I think it's just bad form. I think, you know, last season they had the 9-0 loss again and there was all talks about Ralph Hussen. Hassan Hootel. Yeah, um, Hassan Hootel uh, being sat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of talk about him being sacked last season but I think he showed that he was a good manager last season and I think he's just a run of bad form and I do think Southampton will be safe this season there's no talk of relegation for them oh no of course not of course not 
I think the the only danger with Southampton is that they're going to end up becoming a Crystal Palace and just be in the league but not really do anything. I think by the way they play, by the players they bring in, they obviously aspire to something a lot more. But I just think they could end up being that team that's just in the league and just kind of is about. But then you think about what they've actually done. Um, when they came up to the Premier League, they had they got promoted from League Two, promoted from League One, promoted from the Championship, and then stayed in the Premier League for yeah, you know since then they've become an established Premier League team, which I guess overall was the aim. And I think I think if you speak to many Southampton fans, they'd rather stay in the league than maybe push on for more at the moment. Yeah, I think it's all about it's all about especially with the players they've got. Obviously, Danny Ings is getting older. Nathan Redmond's getting older. I'd think that he definitely plays for him. And they've obviously got some young players in there. Obviously, Minamino's coming on loan. It's not quite the same. You've got Carl Walter, Walker-Peters from Spurs. So they're obviously trying to drip in younger players where they can. And obviously, James Ward-Prowse becoming their captain. He's 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 pulled a blinder, really. He's been on, he's been exceptional recently. So I do, I do feel quite... It's one of the only teams in the Premier League that I feel sorry for in terms of they always put in 100% and they've not quite been rewarded for their efforts, but I do think they'll stay in the league, and I think next season or the season after, with the fans back, I think they'll 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 push on, and I think they'll be a, a very well established Premier League side, potentially pushing for top six. Yeah, just speaking about Leeds, um, their next two games are against Aston Villa and West Ham, two teams that have been doing really well this season, and I think those two games will be really interesting to watch with to see how Leeds play. Yeah, I think these three teams are very relatable to each other in terms of. They're all kind of in the same position. That obviously Aston Villa came up the season before Leeds came up this season, and West Ham were were basically. If you think about how low they were in the Premier League, you could argue that they were a Championship team last season. I think what's happened is they've all they've, the three teams have kind of got managers in, who are just making the players play far and above what they're actually capable of. So I think what will be interesting to see is when they do clash and when they do come up against each other who's going to come off off the best and I think with the way Leeds play if West Ham can undo them with the likes of Lingard and the same thing if Aston Villa could undo them with the likes of Traore and uh, Ross Barkley potentially it could be a very difficult week for them on the other hand if Leeds can just keep doing what they're doing and scoring basically just outscoring everyone it's oh cool you want to beat me 3-0 we're just going to turn around and win it 4-3 it's fine I think it's just that way, that attitude of just keep going, keep going, keep going, being relentless. If you lose, you can never say that Leeds didn't try because they always do. And I think ultimately it's going to be a very interesting week of football for them. And it wouldn't surprise me if they came out with zero points or six points. And I think that's the, the roundup of the games last week. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's been an interesting one. Premier League is getting, it's getting kind of livelier by the second. I'm quite enjoying it at the minute. I don't usually watch that much Premier League football. But this season specifically has has is kind of caught my eye, and obviously that's why we're now doing this. Yeah, I think we've got a really interesting game week coming up this week. There's a lot of double game weeks for most teams. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the FPL points are going to be are going to be going crazy this week. Obviously, Man City have got a double game week and two winnable games as well. Uh, Leeds have got a double game week. I've just spoken about yeah, Spurs. Spurs have got a double game week. So I think it's our FPL points are going to be interesting this week. Moving off from the Premier League for once, uh, today is, of course, a very big day for me uh, as this is being recorded in about 
two hours time. Oh god, I'm getting quite nervous. But uh, yeah, the East Midlands Derby is happening. Uh, the kind of the battle of the A52, so to speak, against it's a uh, Forest versus Derby at Pride Park. Uh, easily the biggest game of my season, every single season for the last ten years at least. Um, do you think about you thinking you're going to watch it tonight, Ben? Yeah, I'll be watching it tonight. Obviously, you know it'll be a very big game. It's a derby game, and obviously a derby where I live so right now. You know, I've got friends and family that support both teams, um, so it'll be an interesting watch. Obviously, there's a, a young James Gardner on loan from Manchester United at Nottingham Forest. I'm always intrigued to see how he's playing. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately for the last few weeks he's been incredible as have a lot of the players, but I think this is these are the games that are kind of... It doesn't really matter how well you've played recently because anything can happen in a derby, they always say it. You know, linking it back to what we've already talked about, obviously Everton beating Liverpool. Forest haven't lost to derby in... You know those accounts where it's like days since a certain team lost to their rivals? Oh, yeah. There's one that's Forest haven't lost to derby in... I think it's... 1,229 days. Jesus. So we haven't lost to them since 2017. So we've drawn quite a few. And oftentimes these derbies are quite boring. But I think with how good defensively we've been and how weak derby have been all season, it could be an interesting game. Um, And this is probably going to make it into a TikTok because I'm going to go out and say Forest are going to win 2-0 and we're going to absolutely smash derby tonight. So if you see a TikTok in the next week that starts off with me saying this... It probably means that Derby have beaten us and beaten us quite badly. I'll be interest, interest, I'm interested to see in how Wayne Rooney does. You know, he's had his fair derbies. You know, with Manchester United and Manchester City. I wonder whether he's the manager to be able to get Derby. You know, riled up for a Derby. Um, yeah, I, I I do have to say he did play in one of them, and he was obviously, you know, a very good player. But there was nothing. There was nothing from him that really inspired kind of an amazing performance from Derby. He did obviously this is when he's playing, so it's a different story when he's a manager. But he didn't particularly do anything that when I've watched him that was in terms of leading the team to get a result, it always felt like they got the draw or we were winning and they just started attacking and they could attack because Wayne Rooney could just hump balls into the box. Other than that, there was nothing else. It'll be interesting to see what he does managerially to try and combat a Forest team that are in excellent form. I think we've we've gone unbeaten for quite a while now. Uh, we're not looking, we're not conceding very many goals at all. We're actually we're looking like a good side. Obviously, we've bought in uh, Garner, we've bought Glenn Murray in, we've bought uh, Kravinovic in, we've bought players that can kind of just add add goals, which was essentially the main thing we were lacking. Um, I'm just looking now. We haven't lost. We've lost one in seven. That's a, that's so a good that's run of form. Not, yeah, it's a good run of form. It's getting us out of that kind of out of that zone. So it's going to be a very interesting game tonight. It's going to be very interesting to watch Wayne Rooney squirm as Chris Hutton bangs two past his team and, and ultimately Forrest keep the Brian Clough trophy. And then obviously, there was the news this week uh, with regarding everything to do with lockdown that fans potentially could be back in the stadiums come May the 17th. Get in! The Euros, Ben. The, the Euros. Euros. It's coming home. It's coming home. We did actually have some questions, but I'm thinking maybe we save them for next week. I'm happy Because I that. forgot about them. I'm happy with that. So what we'll do is we'll leave, we'll put another poll up for this week. 
Uh, if you do have some questions, stick them in if you've stuck, hung around this long. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be here same time next week. We will indeed. Thank you all so much for listening. Please follow the Spotify, follow the Instagram, follow the TikTok, interact with everything as much as you can. If you do want to be on the podcast, we are going to look to get some guests in soon. We say that every week, but we genuinely will. It will be soon. It will be very soon. Could be next week. Probably not. Who knows? But <laughs> we should probably know. No, we should, but we'll figure it out. So maybe next week. <laughs> anyway thank you so much for listening i've been ben and i've been ben see ya bye bye what a podcast bro oh, i actually rate that bro it was good wasn't it the, the derby forest chat was actually decent